Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Laura Ferrier. Today is November 16th and making grain headlines obviously is the issue with dawn in corn. So that's what we're going to be focusing on uh, as we talk about uh, the news headlines today. AgriCore has said that more than 1,300 customers so far have reported damage due to dawn. And these customers are being asked to collect and document all their samples, tests, and rejections to make sure that they have that supporting documentation when they make a claim. Exactly, Rachel. So they've released this new document that uh, talks about knowing your claim position and how claims work after after harvest. I think in general there is um, some confusion out in the countryside from farmers on, on how everything works once they do call AgriCorps. And uh, this document has a little bit more information. It can be found on the AgriCorps website. And um, as always, they're really great to talk to um, if the farmer does need to get in touch with them. And we are encouraging farmers to contact AgriCorps, get that claims process started, make sure that they're doing what they can to follow all those steps uh, to get their claims. We know that there is, as you said, a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty about what people should actually be doing with dawn and and how to harvest their crop and how to market their crop. And Grain Farmers of Ontario is working. It's all hands on deck situation um, to help farmers deal with this. And one thing that we've been hearing more as well, people talking about, especially on Twitter, is different ways of cleaning the grain to help reduce that vomitoxin level that's being tested. Yeah, exactly. On Twitter, there are quite a number of tweets flying around right now of farmers showing them cleaning grain, uh, coming out of the gravity wagon and uh, showing how the red dog and fines and the smaller kernels are being separated from those of the larger kernels. Um, So that is certainly something that maybe farmers should be taking into consideration. Of course, when you are sampling at the elevator, um, the variability is is strong. Uh, One kernel could throw off your your results quite significantly, but it's still something that you can try to lower um, some of your higher parts per million loads. And Grain Farmers of Ontario is working with our partners at the elevator as we're working with Amafra, we're working with the government. There's a meeting this week with uh, Minister Hardiman that uh, the results from that meeting are still to be announced, but uh, we hope that with everybody working together, we can find some solutions for our farmer members as well. Exactly. I think as an industry as a whole, there is a lot of conversations going on and they're all very important conversations moving forward. Coming up next, we're going to be talking with Ben Rosser from Amafra about some tips for farmers on what they can do in the field. And a little bit later on, our chair, Marcus Hurl, is going to talk to us about about the open letter to farmer members that was issued last week. We're here with Ben Rosser, the corn specialist with Omafra. Hey Ben, thanks for coming in today. No problem, happy to stop by, Laura. It's great. Um, so we're having a few uh, few questions, of course, about dawn in cornfields. And I know that Omafra put out some really great resources. Can you just talk to us about those for a little bit? Yeah, so we put out a number of articles. Um, a bunch of us at the field crop team have kind of worked together the last couple of weeks to put some materials out there. So some of them are materials we've had out before, but we've updated because we've learned new things or have uh, have some new stuff. But yeah, basically some ideas of, uh, you know, in general, what to, uh, you know, how to handle uh, a corn crop that has higher dawn levels in it, things to think about in terms of handling or storage or those sorts of things. Uh, we also go over how to sample for it. So if you want an idea of what's in your field, kind of the best way of going about that, or some of the issues you hear about uh, in regards to sampling. And of course, one issue with uh, with dawn levels is that they're highly variable in a load, so it takes a good number of samples to really get a good uh, 
good picture of what's in uh, any any load or or cornfield as well. And then we've also put some other articles out uh, in terms of you know if you have a higher testing crop, what are some of the options for that? Uh, and if it does come to the case where you've got a crop that's maybe unmarketable. Um, how would you maybe deal with a field in that situation as well? Obviously, a situation we hope mm, no, not many growers have, but uh, that some of that information at least, or some of the thought processes are out there for uh, for those type of deals. For sure. So, with uh, talking on harvesting dawn corn, what are, in your opinion, are some things that some farmers should really be aware of going forward into this harvest? Yeah. So, I think the first thing would just be, you know, having a good idea of at least what's out there and what's manageable you know, an idea of your fields and maybe what the risks are in those fields. If there's an ability to handle uh, some of the lower stuff separately, I know that's not an option for all growers uh, if with on-farm storage and that sort of thing, but if that's a possibility uh, to try to segregate them and market them that way, um, anything that can be done in regards to that would uh, would certainly be a help. As a last resort, um, after talking with AgriCorp, farmers might uh, take on the option of destroying a crop. Uh, that article I just actually read earlier this morning, and I know it's something that we don't want to talk about because that's a pretty sad, sad statement when we are destroying a crop. But going forward, if farmers are looking into that, what what are the main things that they should be aware of for um, problems that might come up th- like within this year or especially next crop year with uh, destroying a crop? Yeah, so there's not a lot of data out there, but we did talk to a number of individuals who have experience in that or some researchers who at least had part of that to deal with from other projects. And uh, certainly I think one concern for growers would be you're going to have a uh, certainly an elevated volunteer corn issue that uh, wouldn't be in a typical situation. Um, so if you do have to destroy a crop, that's definitely one thing to keep in mind. Um, most work would suggest that you're going to need a two-pass volunteer corn program the next year. Um, one to get early, uh, the early flush as well as one to get a later corn flush as well. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. In terms of actually destroying it, there's you know some different options. One would be to get all the corn off the field, so that could be combining it and then disposing of the crop somehow. Um, you know, there's a number of different ways you'd maybe maybe try to get rid of the crop. Another idea is to go in with um, or if you if you pulled the crop off. Uh, you know, if you could rent or get a, uh, a roller mill or something to destroy that grain and it could be put back on the field. We did some really rough math and, you know, from a P and K fertilizer perspective, um, that grain would still have about $70 worth of value. Wouldn't, uh, not necessarily for that next crop. So you couldn't necessarily credit your next crop, but that's still, you know, organic matter and fertilizer value that could go back onto the field again. Uh, another option, if you've got the ability or you've got a, a custom harvester nearby, would be to go in with a forage harvester as well. Uh, I think in that case, you'd want to have a kernel processor left in the machine so you could go and destroy the viability of most of those kernels and uh, spread that right back onto the field again. If uh, if you prefer not to take the crop off or you can't don't have the ability to get a forage harvester in, uh, the other option is to incorporate with tillage and then manage the volunteers like I mentioned before. So... I think if uh, if you're a conventional tillage guy, plowing is one option. Talking to most people, you probably want to get the cobs knocked down to the soil surface um, before you plow. You probably have a better ability to bury them in that way. Uh, and uh, if you are in a reduced tillage or no tillage, another option that uh, some researchers have had good luck with is uh, to go in with a disc or a vertical tillage machine. Get some contact, uh, you know, soil to, to cob contact maybe not an option at this point where we are with how wet soils are and how late we are in the year, but maybe in the springtime, 
uh, you know, promote some degradation as well as to try to get a more uniform flush of volunteer, uh, volunteer corn plants the next year and then uh, manage those with a herbicide application. So a couple of uh, a couple of scenarios that uh, might be options for growers. Yeah, there are certainly some options. I guess it's just what works best in your particular situation. Thank you so much for coming in today, Ben. We really appreciate your time and knowledge. No problem, Laura. And uh, if growers are looking for any of the articles that we've put out over the last little while here, um, all of our materials that we post go to fieldcropnews.com. All one word, fieldcropnews.com. And uh, I believe GFO has also posted them at uh, gfo.ca slash dawn. That's right. Thanks so much, Ben. No problem. See you, Laura. Up next, Rachel and Megan talk with Sandy Brock. All right. We are live today at the Women's Grain Symposium where Sandy Brock uh, is joining us to talk a little bit more about farming and various different things. Uh, So... You uh, run Shepherd Creek Farm, so I think we'll just roll right into a bit more about uh, what that farm is. So we are primarily a grain operation. It's historically been a grain operation. We're third generation on that farm. So uh, we're running about 1,600 acres right now of corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, a few edible beans here and there, uh, if if there's good market for that. Um, and some hay for the other business, which is about 450 breeding ewes, so sheep, uh, for the production of, of uh, market lambs. And your husband is Mark Brock, who was previously our chair at Grain Farmers of Ontario. And you sort of run two different farms. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, like definitely it's one big mash of madness from day to day. Uh, and, and we definitely work on the synergies of each other. Um, but yes, I pretty much manage the sheep operation and Mark really manages, always has the, the grain side. He is an agronomist, uh, did, did school for agronomy. Um, I did school for agriculture business actually. So I don't have an animal science degree, but I have a, I have the, um, experience of dairy and poultry. So, um, sheep is kind of a blend of the two. Um, we, we keep it separate and I think it's kind of healthy. Um, and even people that come in, like some people, some women even are women or men, uh, get a little bit, a little bit hot off, hot off the collar when, when someone comes in and asks to speak to so-and-so because, you know, if it's a man, they get very, and I used to too. Um, but now I have salespeople, if, if it's barn related, they come and talk to me. And if it's crop related, they go and talk to Mark. And but all the decisions are done together. So even though we run and manage everything separately, we still decision make together. And when we talk about decisions, why did you decide to go with sheep? Having that previous experience with dairy sure. and poultry, why sheep? Sure. So um, I didn't really want to leave the poultry world. Uh, that was a whole. That's a whole other podcast of uh, family succession and. Um, basically jumping off a cliff um <laughs> and my husband was the one mark was the one that said sheep were kind of i always kind of thought sheep were funny um as, as, as my life has progressed I, he's right um so sheep was one of those markets we just crunched numbers uh this was 2000 and 2010 11-ish 10 i think and the market was quite strong as it can do, and then it can easily downturn as well. Um, but the potential and our market in in Toronto, uh, Toronto's our biggest 
uh, demand in Canada for for lamb. We have a lot of uh, culture, culture, different cultures and ethnicities that lamb is a real staple product for them. So is now when I admit that I don't like lamb. No, I hate I hated lamb growing up. I love lamb now. Not to be a convert, I guess. I maybe. love <laughs> lamb now, um, but I didn't for sure. Uh, so it was just we looked at anything supply managed and we just it was just not feasible we just couldn't get into a supply managed industry because um, I've always loved dairy um, I did love poultry too so uh, sheep was just kind of literally um, not accidental but just let's try this and I loved it right away so um, stuck with all the bad times to uh, get to where we are today So are are the price fluctuations in the lamb market as stressful as they are in the grain market? Absolutely. Like any any price fluctuations are stressful. I don't think it matters what commodity you're in. Uh, The lamb, fortunately for us, after uh, after 2012, there was a real 2012, 13 was maybe a big price correction in the lamb market and it was really low. Uh, But for the last, you know, three or four years, it's been it's been the bottom has been tolerable. I would say, and that's a nice feeling to know that it's, you know, it's been fairly stable, our market. Um, And I I just think with a strong industry, if we can keep making our industry stronger, I think think it's got huge potential to just keep going, tracking upward. And this year, this fall, uh, VOM, Law and Toxin, Dawn and Corn has been a a major issue. Mm -hmm. And I saw your, one of your recent vlogs, you had mentioned briefly Mm -hmm. that your corn was okay mm-hmm. in terms of being uh, viable for feed. Right. Um, did that stay that way? What has your experience been this this season? So thank goodness, like we took the corn silage off, you know, early September. So we didn't know even bomb was, no one even talked about it. It wasn't really something on our radar. Uh, so it wasn't until we started hearing, you know, what was going on. Uh, we were custom combining for our hired man at the time. So he just did a strip down right straight down the field kind of a couple rows in from where we took the corn silage and we got it tested at a couple places and it tested it tested below three parts per million so we were pretty we're pretty comfortable that that the corn silage we just got lucky like the corn silage was good uh since then um the second field we took off was the same variety and it it was about the same as that two two parts two or two parts per million or something like that. Um, and then a field we took off Sunday was up a little bit more than that. But we've been under five. We're So we're, we're considering ourselves very lucky. But it is it is so stressful. Um, I know I know Mark and I know a lot of the provincial directors are getting lots of calls. Um, and, and what everybody has to remember is that we as farmers are going through the same thing. We are going to bed at night with that at the top of our mind as well. And, um, and that you know, this is a this is a mental health trigger, and and we all have to just be very aware that um, it's it's just it's a stressful time, and I think I think we need to re- remember that um, in in everything that we do going forward with this whole VOM issue. Yeah, and I think we were going to talk a little bit more about mental health, um, but since you brought it up, why sure. do you think that's so important, and where do you think what can people do um, to take care of their mental health? Well. It's it's been a it's been a really tough year for me for for that whole thing. Um, I I did I did do a video early in the year, um, just talking a little bit about my and which which you know, we never think our story is bad enough, right? Um, and then I I a real good friend of mine I, I lost to mental health in July, and that just 
totally turned my world upside down not not to mention probably likely her family and 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 a real close egg community in general lots of friends she touched a lot of people um and i went to a mental health workshop uh it's called in the know um a couple of weeks ago and oh it was it's disturbing how um broken we are if we are all really honest with ourselves in this in this industry and it doesn't matter what commodity we are doing we have huge stressors um you're not dealing with uh with thousands of dollars anymore you're talking millions of dollars and and that's a lot to wear when you're you're not running a huge corporation you're running literally probably a husband wife team running running a million dollar operation that's a, that's a huge thing to um to it's a huge burden to carry um and we do it to ourselves it's a choice we make but i don't think we take the choice to um deal with the stress that comes with it and uh, that workshop was just a huge eye-opening of 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 what we're seeing in the industry and and even maybe what we're doing to our children so um that's the thing that's really tearing up my heart right now is that there's a lot of even children in our community that are that are really struggling that's 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 been top of top of mind since since my um, encounter with mental health this year for sure. And when we talk about your mental health, and mm-hmm. and you mentioned the vlog that you did, mm-hmm. um, you'd mentioned how the process of doing the vlog helped you mm-hmm. um, with what you were struggling with. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the process of starting your vlog and, and how that did help you? So, just in general, I think my whole life, I feel like we fall into these roles. I feel like uh, you go to Guelph, you get your degree, you get married, you have a couple kids, you take over your farm, or you try to take over the farm, and then that doesn't go so well. And and you just, I just kept feeling so binded by a role. And and as a child, I was a very, I my mom likes to call me mischievous. I think it was just a very creative and, um, I don't know, very just always using my imagination and and um and I don't know having fun in life and trying new things and getting into trouble mostly um and I really lost sight of that after you know we get into this corporate world whether it be agriculture or just work in general in your 20s and 30s all you're doing is trying to keep kids alive trying to trying to make it up the ladder of whatever that ladder looks like and in our in our case is trying to trying to build a business at home um, but I lost sight of me and that little girl that was very creative and uh, like mischievous. Um, and for me, I found social media to be a real uh, creative outlet. Um, and sheep are hilarious because they're their own material. Like every day they, they, they give me content. Um, and, and then, so it just, it just went from from like one medium to the next and and I find social media is just every day giving us more things we can use and we just need to step up and use it. It's easy to use. You just need a phone, press record, um, filter it a little bit, right? Because not everybody really understands what I'm putting out there, but if you do it to some funny music, you know, like I had, had, yeah, it's ridiculous the stuff that I put out there, but it connects, humor connect, connects a lot of people. Humor can help with mental health. Humor is a huge release. Um, and then you can throw in an emotion every once in a while because they're so used to you being uh, lighthearted and easygoing that when you are serious about something, they're like, whoa, what's what she taught? They, they pay attention. If, I, if I've 
if I've left it for a few days, I have people going, are you okay? That's huge. Like the connections I've made is, is, is crazy. So people think, people think I'm wasting my time. I would say I'm creating a side hustle. Like I'm, I'm creating a community and a network and I'm creating empathy. And I think that's what all of agriculture needs to maybe think about as a potential. And you're also making connections, not just within agriculture, mm-hmm. but outside as well. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago on Twitter, there was a post, I think it was a CBC journalist, mm-hmm. and he said that he'd read a story to his daughter, and she's like, why Why don't women mm-hmm. farm? Why aren't women farmers? Something like that. And you responded to that and said, I'm a woman who's a farmer. Yeah. And that got a bunch of other people to say, yeah. hey, me too. But then a couple of days later, you posted again yes. to that with a video, and you took the time mm-hmm. to put that together, which I'm sure mm-hmm. must have been a lot of extra work as well. Why were you so compelled to make that second response well the f- I don't I don't know what it was but when I finished it it was honestly one of the it was the one vlog I felt the proudest of because it wasn't about me it was not about my story it was not about this was not anything to be in fact I didn't have myself or my family in the first one because I didn't want I wanted to be about all my peers people I looked up to people people that are really make making a difference and they aren't necessarily on social media right like they obviously are because I nabbed their pictures from I'm sorry for everyone I hope no copyright infringement hopefully not man you you put it out there it's free game um and they're beautiful women that are making huge contributions and we are literally writing our own stories every day some of us post about it um some of us don't it doesn't mean they shouldn't be included I've missed a I missed millions of people I'm sh- I know um so so on after that Twitter because so many people were putting in their pictures um I threw out another post and I said you know for my YouTube for my actual vlog I would love to make it longer and I'd love to include a few more people um and then I got more pictures and then of course I did it too quick so other uh, people missed the missed I didn't really tell them when there was a deadline right um but just that outpouring and it was the first time that there was unity on something and it's like that is collaboration and that is an industry working together there was no there wasn't even men saying like oh well why aren't why aren't there any men and like because it wasn't about that it was answering a little girl just saying you know what we are and I am always the biggest one even on social media to always say like I could not be who I am without amazing men in my life so I'm 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 always very very aware of that whole uh male female strife in there and I I don't believe in it and um and uh yeah so it just it worked really well and it really warmed my heart I was glad I did it I guess we talk a lot in agriculture and it goes along with that about being advocates for agriculture and through your blog how much have you heard a lot of feedback from consumers like more than just those posts like what have you felt uh now that you've been doing this so the only time I that's the thing my why keeps changing I would say I would say at the very beginning I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna show city people what agriculture is all about well I'm sorry but the algorithm doesn't work that way right they're not promoting my material to someone that is looking for a vlog for their kids it's just not happening um what has kind of happened is it's really thrown me into this very like I don't have a huge following but I have a very deep following and I think that's very important um I think what a lot of us try to do as advocates is just preach to the millions well you're casting a very wide net but not a very deep one and um so now I think I think now it's been more of uh, a lot of sheep farmers that are struggling and they were like thank you for showing that it's not 
it's not friggin' easy. Like, it's just, they are hard little beasts to figure out. And um, and I don't go on there prophesizing that I'm a guru, that I know everything. I I've, I never do that. I'm always like, oh, look what I tried and it friggin' failed. Um, and people like that. It's vulnerability and it's authentic and and um, and they like the fact that I'm trying and failing. Then they, now they don't have to do it, right? Uh, it's it, so. I've had a lot of people reach out, a lot of, a lot of farm tours. I've had, I've had, I had a beautiful family from uh, Brampton last weekend visit the farm. Uh, teenage, three teenage boys from Brampton came out and they loved it and they want to start a farm. Like, it's just stories like that that I'm like, that's, and then again, I'm, there's a different why. Like, the why just keeps changing and that's okay, I think. Um, and it's videos like that to that little girl, Zoe, that, you know, her dad, like they're wherever, downtown Ottawa, and that reach has seen, so now maybe they will pop on my channel and and start just, maybe even, maybe even if it's just seeing the sheep running around, right? I have a lot of parents that stop me at the grocery store and say, well, my kids always watch your blog. They love, they love the sheep, right? They're easy to watch because they're, they're kind of, and my dog, she's like her own little Oh, it's great when soap the dog's opera. involved yeah, with the her, sheep, right? She's her own little soap opera star. Yeah, so so it works really well. I think I'm capturing different markets, and and uh, and I do different vlogs for that reason. But I really want to stay to the stay true to the sheep community because they're the ones that are asking me for the content. So I'm really trying to answer to what they ask. So and some of your vlogs um are quite emotional because mm-hmm. when you talk about the lamb when the lambing happens they don't all make it right, right. and you don't shy away from that no. kind of emotional connection that you have to those yeah. animals yeah and i think that's important right like i think i think uh, all too often we're villainized as you know money hungry at any expense at any and uh you know i had new year's, new year's day i had to euthanize my most favorite sheep in the barn like sheep have a great way they can they on the daily can not on the daily but they have a they can find their own ways to die without me having to do it but to me to have to like put down my favorite sheep and I'm like I have to vlog this because everybody knows Ruthie because Ruthie's been part of my journey since I started like I was taking pictures of her right the day that she warmed up to me I was like okay this is my favorite Rito you and I'm gonna name her Ruthie and then I had pictures of her all the time and her first baby and then her second baby and so um I'm like I have to do a vlog so I had to I had I didn't show me actually euthanizing the you but I did show how it's done and I went through the whole um code of practice and what we do in Canada so then if if there was an ant like an activist person um you know watching that I'm like no it's humanely done it broke my heart. I had to drag it out. You know, like it's, it's they saw that it, even though um, if, if it seems cold doing it, they see how much it can affect you emotionally. And that reaches people. Even farmers. I had farmers come up to me and go, I've had those days. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to change gears a little bit sure. and talk about um, leadership. And, mm-hmm. and you've been involved in different associations and boards, and I know Mark has as well. So do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, stepping forward and being that leader? Well, first of all, my biggest thing, and I think I put this on the slide today, is that typically the people that should be sitting in those seats are the ones too busy to be there. And I truly believe that, you know, we all we all don't have enough time and we always have an excuse. Um, now, be very, very true to yourself. If those excuses are, you know, health or babies or like 
you only get to do that once. I'm sorry, but a board's not going to come ahead of, you know, watching your children grow up. Um, but if you have a good support system and there is something that you truly believe in and and, and it's a board you think you can make a, a really big impact on, I think it is your duty to, to stand, to step up and, and sit at that seat because if your voice isn't there, someone else's is there that might not have the biggest impact or not might not have uh, the best of intentions. And I think we have to be very aware of that. Um, and, and leadership can do wonderful things. You can meet wonderful people, you can network. Um, you, and I, as Mark and I say, you have a finger on the pulse of your industry all the time. You, you know what's coming down the pipe. You know what regulations uh, are potential, uh, could potentially uh, be huge impacts on your farm that you need to prepare for. Um, so we will miss some of that stuff, just being, having that inner, being part of that inner circle and knowing what's coming down. I am on the sheep board now and, um, you know, my biggest wish, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate to sit there because I would love there to be less divisiveness. I really, I'm all, I would love there to be more unity. And I think, you know, just even in that vlog, you see the power of unity. It, it, It went viral because everybody was uh, affected by it and loved it and 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 I see the I see that in leadership I think you just if it's something you're passionate about I think it, it's your duty to step up how many females are on the sheep board oh gosh uh Sally just came off me Heather <laughs> I have Sandy's to, like, mentally I have to calculating in her head just so Seriously, everybody knows what's going on the table. One, two, three. so it, so I'm going to answer the question more than are on the grain farmers of Ontario board. yes correct right <laughs> which correct. is currently correct. zero but we're really trying to work hard to change you that you know what um Mark and I talked about this all the time and and definitely um because I saw a post last year on Twitter and it really bothered me someone had a picture of of the grain farmer um, board and and made a comment that you know it's too bad it's all men are you kidding me behind every man that's up there is a spouse that is has to be a hundred percent behind them um i don't care if that's mark up there or me because we have the same voice so i have no i don't care what genitalia he has because he legit has my voice in his ear uh so he knows where i stand on a lot of issues and i know i know all those men on that board equally have partners at home that are fully supportive and um they're also the people that these guys have to come home to to decompress when with some of these hard hard issues and hard hard um meetings with people so i took i took huge offense to that um, and I know women are encouraged to be there. I know Mark is all, Mark and I always talk about like, who, who can we get? Who can we get? Who can we, because what it takes is someone to see the potential in other people and ask them to join. And, um, they'll be there. We'll be there. Uh, we just need to find the passion and, and maybe the, maybe the problem with that board is you have a really good board. And we don't feel like we need to be there. And and I honestly, being around some of these guys for three years, you had you have one of the most progressive uh, farmers around that table. That their skin, they do not have the time to be there. They have made the time to be there, and they are the right people. So and it could be them or their wife. I I don't care who it is, but they're amazing people. What do you think is this, the strongest barrier to females becoming involved in boards at a, at a higher level or at a more involved level? So I was just talking to um, a, 
one of your delegates here too and she said you know I would love to sit around that table but um, maybe maybe it's maybe it is looking at childcare. like maybe there is you know maybe there is some room at looking at you know is there somewhere we can drop off our kids you know and and that's a big investment from from a from an organization uh, but it has to start somewhere you just have to make and sometimes it's up to us to ask for that right like if they want us bad enough maybe it's up to us to say or like one of the speakers today they said she said um, you know what I would love to sit on that board but I can't do an eight o'clock meeting because I want to put my kids on the bus mm-hmm. and they changed it to four right well she's probably taking kids off the bus but whatever she made it, she made it work <laughs> she make that work she made it work yeah. right like it takes people like that that if they want you bad enough they're gonna change they're gonna change the rules to make it happen um, but I don't think enough of us want it bad enough to ask for these things do you think it's almost harder to be the woman behind the man on the board? Because you mentioned today about how, like, Mark was away a lot, mm-hmm. so you were there for your two kids when he mm-hmm. wasn't. And, mm-hmm. like, you, you just mentioned, you know, being that person that they would vent to mm-hmm. and, and having to deal with their stress as well as all your stress. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's almost a more difficult position? Oh, I'm really lucky because my kids are pretty, pretty independent kids. And, we d- and they are... Um, Oh gosh, how old was Jet? So the problem with any stepping on a board, you don't just become chair overnight, right? Like he was vice chair, he was very involved. Like he was probably involved even three years before his three years, right? Heavily involved. So the good thing about it is you're getting already very used to the the roles and what you got to step up to take over. Now I wouldn't say. Um, I wouldn't say Mark was gone in body, but definitely not in spirit. And the the, the good thing about technology is the kids could always text him or call him. And he, Mark is very good at always, even if he's in a meeting, he would, he would step out and take the call because he knows I'm at home by myself. And uh, so he was very, there's things you can do. You can change the mold, right? Um, And I think, I think we tried to do that even, even though he looks like the white white-haired just stereotypical man at the table he was so not that stereotypical guy and I just that breaks my heart when I hear women say that it really really does because I don't know a bigger advocate of women um, stepping up than than Mark for sure thanks for joining us today on the podcast Sandy it was great having you chat with us and we're glad that you could be part of our women's symposium if anybody wants to follow Sandy online, they can do so at Sandy Brock on Twitter or go to YouTube and search for her vlog, Sheepishly Me. Coming up next, we talk to Marcus Hurl, Chair of Green Farmers of Ontario. Marcus Hurl, Chair of Green Farmers of Ontario, is joining us on the podcast now. And we're going to be talking about the open letter that was issued to farmer members this past week. Marcus, can you tell us what some of the important points are that we wanted to let our farmer members know about? Yes, uh, by um, uh, putting out this open letter, uh, we want to uh, make sure that our farmer members that we represent uh, across the province understand that Grain Farmers Ontario is uh, fully engaged in this um, dawn issue in the corn this year, uh, especially since it's in such a large area of um, uh, where the uh, infection actually is. And um, also since corn is one of the main commodities that Ontario produces, uh, we want to make sure that uh, our members understand that um, we know that there's some hurt out in the countryside 
And the, uh, the, some of the key points that uh, are showing up more and more is uh, that uh, farmers are going to be looking at uh, some cash flow and uh, revenue losses through, uh, by this um, dawn issue that, that we're facing. And also, uh, where does this uh, high dawn corn go? Because the marketplace is now disturbed by this. And uh, we do need to find some avenues where some of those, uh, that commodity can go to. And also we have to understand that uh, AgriCorp, uh, the crop insurance, um, uh, needs to be also engaged in the dialogue because they are actually the ones that are going to cover some of the losses that farmers are going to occur. And by saying that um, some of the testing protocols that uh, are being used out in the uh, country elevators uh, need to be also looked at that they're uniform and that they get done the right way, the way they're supposed to be. And there's a meeting with Minister Hardiman of the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. Why is it important that government is involved when we have a situation like this within the ag industry? Yeah, so um, a week ago, uh, myself and uh, Barry Senf, the CEO from Grain Farmers, um, we uh, met with, uh, met up with uh, Minister Ardeman to discuss this issue of the dawn and corn. And uh, we did go out to a farm out in uh, Woodstock um, at uh, Kevin Armstrong's to look at the, uh, the impact that's actually happening out in the field. And by having the dialogue with the minister, um, it was decided that uh, he puts together a summit uh, brought to bring together some of the processors, the industry itself, and grain farmers to uh, have a, a real dialogue of how we can point uh, point out the uh, the points that need to to be looked at that we can cover some of the uh, asks and the engagement where government has to be to f- cover off those shortfalls because crop insurance is not meant to be. Um, the um, the agency that's going to deliver shortfalls in cash flow, but uh, we can get the government engaged on the federal level to look at maybe some of the different ways of covering some of the um, agri-recovery. Uh, to uh, And it has to be actually brought up by the provincial government to be able to initiate it. So we're looking at all those different aspects of how we can do that with them. And Marcus, when we talk about frustrations around the insurance process, there's a couple of um, key points that we're trying to work through uh, with AgriCorps. Now, first off, we are saying that farmers need to engage with AgriCorps and get their claims process started. But what are some of those, I guess, key questions that we're sort of asking on behalf of our farmer members? Well, the questions is certainly what's going to happen to my crop? Uh, am I able to market it? Am I able to uh, put it in a bin uh, and find a micro- marketplace at the end? What's my deductions? Like, uh, because we all have to realize once you have a crop that has an issue, the uh, processors are going to find ways of deducting off your initial price. And that's certainly going to hit hard on the bottom line of the farmers. And farmers 
during this time, some of them are probably pretty stressed out. Um, and mental health has been a topic that we have been discussing for a while now. And times like this, times of stress, times of hardship, financial loss, can really impact somebody who's struggling. And Grain Farmers of Ontario wants to make sure that our farmer members stay mentally healthy. Um, what is our advice to our farmer members? Yes, uh, well, through those stressful times, like uh, as, a, as an industry, we do have a few avenues that we recommend uh, that farmers reach out to in case of need. And um, we certainly encourage everybody that do feel that they they need to f- talk to somebody please do and uh, there is uh, some call centers that uh, that can be used um, uh, you can call uh, the uh, 211 or the canadian uh, mental health line uh, at um, 1866 531 as 2600 and uh, please speak to somebody in the case of need. Thank you for joining us today Marcus. It's uh, great to hear your perspective on how we're dealing with this issue of high dawn in corn crop this year. More than welcome. We would also like to let our farm members know that if they have any questions or concerns that they would like to direct to us here at Green Farmers of Ontario please email members at gfo.ca. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests, Ben Rosser, Sandy Brock, and Marcus Hurl. And also thanks to our producer, Mark Carter. Help us grow our Grain Talk podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe. On iTunes and Google Play.